0: So we'll begin with the blessing for the study of Torah, which is Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, you know the beginning, Asher Kidshanu B'mitzvotah V'tzivanu, then La'asok B'divrei Torah. And that's blessed are you, Adonai, our God, sovereign of the universe who sanctifies us with the commandments and one of the most common mistakes in Hebrew of Torah studiers is that they'll say Torah, which would mean to do words of study, but means to engage in words of Torah. And while we're not necessarily going to have a, a group conversation tonight, my hope would be that you're able to engage with these words and that maybe the conversation will follow you home. This week's Torah portion, Shalach Lecha, coming from the book of Numbers, we are still fairly early on in our time in the wilderness. And this is one of a couple times where we're going to have an explanation for why the Israelites have to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And we're going to read the story. I'm going to read the story. And then we're going to learn about some different interpretations of why this story leads. It was a punishment. Right at the end of this story, God will say, you all, maybe y'all. I don't know if God was a Southerner or not. But God will say, you all are not ready. When I was in Philly, it was you guys. Are not ready to enter the land just yet. And it will have to be the next generation who goes into the promised land. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men, shalach lecha anashim. That's where the name of the Torah portion comes from, but it will also be one of the explanations later. Send men to scout out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelite people. Send one man from each of their ancestral tribes, each one a chieftain among them. So Moses, by God's command, sent them out from the wilderness of Paran, all the men being leaders of the Israelites. And then we get a list of the 12 men who went, but I didn't give that to you because I wanted to get it onto one page front and back with a fairly large font. When Moses sent them to scout the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there into the Negev and on into the hill country and see what kind of country it is. Are the people who dwell in it strong or weak, few or many? Is the country in which they dwell good or bad? Are the towns they live in open or fortified? Is the soil rich or poor? Is it wooded or not? And take pains to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So now you've heard the scout's mission and we'll see if they do what they were supposed to do. They went up and scouted the land from the wilderness of Tzim to Rehov at Levo Hamat. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, where they found, uh, lived Ahimon, Sheshai, and Talmai, the Anakites. They reached the Wadi Eshkol, and there they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, so large that it had to be carried on on a carrying frame by two of them. Those are some heavy grapes and some pomegranates and figs. At the end of 40 days, they returned from scouting the land. They went straight to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran, and they made their report to them and to the whole community as they showed them the fruit of the land. This is what they told them. We came to the land you sent us to. It does indeed flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who inhabit the country are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the Anakites there. Amalekites dwell in the Negev region. Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites inhabit the hill country, and Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Caleb hushed the people before Moses. Caleb was one of the twelve. Caleb hushed the people before Moses and said, Let us by all means go up, and we shall gain possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. So Caleb saw that the message was beginning to be a negative one, and he said, We can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We cannot attack that people, for it is stronger than we. Thus they spread calumnies among the Israelites about the land they had scouted. I didn't know what that word was, but it's falsehoods of a slanderous nature. And they said, the country that we traversed and scouted is one that devours its settlers. All the people that we saw in it are men of great size. We looked like grasshoppers to ourselves, and so we must have looked to them. So it seems like they did their job. There may have been disagreement between the scouts, but they were asked to go to the land and say, are the people there strong or weak? Few or many? Is the country in which they dwell good or bad? Are the towns they live in open or fortified? They answered the questions. And in the end, like I said, uh, well, I didn't say, the people don't listen to Caleb. Joshua also spoke in favor of continuing toward the Promised Land. The other ten scouts gave this negative report, and the people followed them. And the people said, as they've said throughout our time in the wilderness, why did you bring us here just so that we would die? We would be better off if we were in Egypt. So, surprise, surprise, the rabbis are also, I think, bothered by this. Because, again, even though the people follow the 10 scouts who had the negative report, it seems kosher. They were afraid of what they saw. Their job was to go scout out the land and report on what they found. They did that. And as a result, the people were afraid. Okay? So we're going to look at three different rabbinic responses for why this was such a great sin, that this entire generation would be kept from entering the Promised Land, other than Caleb and Joshua, the two scouts who had the positive report, that everyone else, we would wait for them to die out, and the next generation would be the ones who enter the Promised Land. So Rashi, one of our most well-known commentators in the 11th century in France, focuses on that Hebrew, shalach lecha anashim, which means send for yourself people. And Rashi says that shalach lecha, send for yourself, rather than just shalach anashim, send people, is a way of saying that you are doing this to your own judgment. I don't command you. So even though God said send these scouts, God didn't say send the scouts because God wanted scouts to go. God said send the scouts because the people wanted more knowledge about. They didn't trust God and needed that reinforcement. God said this because the Israelites came to Moses and said, let us send men ahead to scout out the land for us and bring back word on the route we shall follow and the cities we shall come to. And that verse comes from Deuteronomy where this story is retold. So what is our punishment? Or what is our sin that's so great? It's that we didn't trust God. That we should have just said, God says the land is good. God says that we'll enter the land. And that's enough for us. But that's problematic for us. Right? Because we should question. We're taught that we're supposed to wrestle with God. We're supposed to question. And I know if someone tells me, jump into that pit, I would like to know what's in the pit before I jump. So the Akedat Yitzchak, Rabbi Isaac Arama, gives us another reason for why this might have been a sin worthy of our not being able to enter the land. It can be compared to a man who says to his agent, go to the warehouse and have a look at a talit, a talis." that the merchant has in stock, examine it carefully for the quality of the wool and linen, for size, appearance, and price, and let me know as I wish to purchase it. If the agent returns and says, I had a look at it, and the wool is pure, it's long and wide, greenish and reddish in color, and the price is 100 gold pieces, he has carried out his mission correctly. But if he says, I had a look at it, and the wool is pure, It is long and wide, but it is reddish and greenish in color, and it is very dearly priced at 100 gold pieces. Then he has exceeded the bounds of his mission and become instead an advisor. So for Arama, the sin was with the scouts, and what they did was their job was to go and report on what they saw, but not give their feelings about it. They were scouts, not interpreters, and their sin was in their butt with one T, right? That they said, this is what it is, but there's a problem. And then the people, maybe going back to Rashi's interpretation, in following their fear, showed that they weren't ready. But had the scouts just given the report without their opinion, maybe things would have gone differently. I don't really like that one either, although we'll come back to it. The third interpretation comes from the Midrash Tanhumah, and it's where I find the most weight. The Blessed Holy One said to the scouts, you don't know what you have just let your mouths utter. I am ready to put up with your saying, we looked like grasshoppers to ourselves. But I take offense at your asserting, and so we must have looked to them. Could you possibly know how I made you appear in their eyes? How do you know but that in their eyes you were like angels? So the Midrash, the rabbis of the Midrash have a problem with that very last verse. We looked like grasshoppers to ourselves, and so we must have looked to them. Whenever I'm working with a couple who is preparing to get married, one of the things I tell them is the importance of arguing. That if you agree with one another all the time, either one of you isn't being honest or you're boring. But what I warn couples against is having an argument with the other without inviting the other to be a part of that argument. That so often we will be so sure of what someone else is feeling or thinking that we don't allow them to be a part of the conversation. We have the conversation in our heads, knowing what they would say, oftentimes getting very angry at them for what they said in our heads, but never actually uttered. And that is the sin of the people according to the Midrash Tanchuma. That they were so sure of what others thought of them that they made their decision based on their assumptions rather than now I don't know that they would have in this case gone up to the Amalekites and said, so what do you think of those Israelites wandering in the wilderness? But the Midrash isn't worried about that. And to be honest, I'm not worried about that either. Because as I look at this text, My question for us is how often are we in the wilderness? How often is there a promised land to which we need to go? This is such a big piece of our people's story. And what are the obstacles that stand in our way? When it was the Red Sea, we were just waiting for God to open the water so that we could cross. That was our obstacle. But that isn't the way it usually works. If we're waiting for a miracle, most of the time we're gonna stay in the wilderness. But this is a human story. And this is a story of people who see where they're supposed to go, but they let their fears get in the way. And in reality, each of these three answers, whether or not they are an answer for the Israelites, can be an answer for so many in our world. The first is lack of faith. And it doesn't have to be lack of faith in God, but it can be lack of faith in people who we are supposed to trust. And jump into this pit is one thing, but if someone we love really believes that something is right for us and we really love them and we really trust them and we can see that our fears perhaps aren't necessary, then sometimes faith is the answer. Yes, you have to analyze potential risks, but so often to trust others, especially those we trust most, can really lead us to a promised land. The second is the but. Maybe we do trust. Maybe we do see the way forward to how we can get to where it is that we're supposed to be. But we can still focus on the but. There's always a reason not to. Now again, I want to re-emphasize what the Israelites did right in this story, and my fear when I read this story, is that we should understand risks. But they were at a point where the but kept them from seeing the truth as it laid before them. And the last is the riskiest. And it's not just having a conversation without inviting another, It's also not being able to see the strength that we possess. The Israelites saw themselves as grasshoppers, but God in the Midrash reminds them that that may not be who you are. It's not having faith in God, it's not having faith in someone you love, that sometimes what's required is having faith in yourself, that you may be stronger than you think, that you may be more capable than you think. And again, if the obstacles in front of you aren't dangerous, then it's worth taking that step and having faith in yourself. So as we think about the calumnies of the Israelites, we also try to look inside and think about the ways in which we can have faith when faith is justified. That we can look at the positives that stand in front of us without, qualifying them with a but, and most importantly, that we can look at ourselves and see the beauty and the strength that lies in each of us, and that all of those combined may lead us to our promised land. Amen.